Welcome to St. George Orthodox Church Homilies and Reflections. Today's homily is on the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, on avoiding distractions, and on defeating tyrants by love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Joyous Feast. Joyous Feast. Today we see the reality within the parable of someone who has been instructed in the law and the prophets and yet is so distracted by the pleasures of life and by material comforts and by a love for them that he's unable to hear and obey the law and the prophets which would tell him that he is to love his neighbor as himself and certainly if he sees a beggar at his door every day he's responsible to care for him I wanted to talk these next few Sundays, and I suppose we already started last week, about the notion of stewardship and what it means and what it means to be a full participant in the body of Christ and in the local parish, the local manifestation of that body in Prescott, Arizona, in our instance, in our case. And thinking of this rich man and how he's so distracted and caught up in so many different things so that he's unable to obey the basic commandments of the law and much less would he be able to obey the commandments of the gospel which go even deeper and have to do with a radical change of heart towards others and towards everyone and everything. And I was thinking, there were several things that I listened to this week, some reading I was doing. There's a series of um, podcasts that are actually very, they're very interesting I think they have, they make a lot of good points. There's always more that could be said. There's things you could disagree with. But it was a series of talks, and it was called The Politics of Tyranny. And, and they opened the, the podcast by saying, we live under a tyranny, and, and that's why we want to talk about it. And what do they mean? What they mean by that is that we live within a system that is structured and we're sort of ruled by others for the sake of their private gain. So people don't rule necessarily, for the most part, within our system of governance for the common good, 
but they rule for the sake of private gain. And of course, there's corporate interests that are aligned with that. There's all sorts of things that go on within the world. And one of the things that they emphasize, which I thought was very profound, was the reality that in order to resist this tyranny, there has to be genuine communities that are bonded solely out of love and selflessness towards one another. But this is the only way to resist, is to have a community that's marked with the sign of the cross. But unfortunately, for us, living as we do within a system that teaches us to act solely for the sake of our own individual gain in the decisions that we make and in the things that we do, because the people that, as the Lord says in the Gospels, that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, well, then what does that do? It makes the people that are being lorded over themselves imitate the same behavior so that they're only in it for themselves. And eventually, the longer that a society goes on like that, which certainly we can look around and see it, it starts to fragment and break down because everybody's just in it for themselves and they're not really interested in the common good and certainly not interested in dying to themselves for the sake of the other. And so, if that's the reality, that the greatest temptation of our age is to act in such a way that we're in it for our own self-interest, then the greatest movement towards repentance would be to act solely out of love in the way that we live our lives and the things that we do. But we can't act out of love. It can't be something that happens in the abstract. You know what I mean? It can't be something that happens in our head. Love is only communicated and only exists there's a phrase that they use a lot in the marriage and family wellness ministry of our metropolis. Love is only manifest and communicated, and this is the phrase they use, face to face and heart to heart. That's how. And when those communal bonds are strengthened and made to flourish in self-emptying love, the church itself, as well as the family, and the extended community outside of the church becomes a genuine sort of pocket of resistance to the tyranny of the world. But we make a mistake. Because instead of building up that community with our time and with our talent and with our treasure, what do you think we do instead? Instead, we become incredibly distracted. I want you to think. Some of you, if you ever did philosophy 101, you've read Plato, and you would have read a story of his. It's called The Myth of the Cave. And I've mentioned it before in homilies. Does anybody remember that? The Myth of the Cave? 
And it's the idea that there's all these people and they're in this cave and they've been there their entire life and they don't know any different. They actually don't know that there's a world outside of the cave. And they're chained within this cave and they can only look in a certain direction. They're kind of positioned so that they can only see in front of them. The opening of the cave is behind them which lets in sunlight but they're not allowed to turn around. And so what they see in front of them on the wall of the cave are shadows. And there's people behind them that, that make like little pictures with the shadows so that they can look at them. And, he's, and Plato says, you know, you can imagine that if people have been here their whole life and this is the only knowledge that they have, well, of course, they're intensely concerned about what these shadows are doing. They're very upset about it if one of the, you know if they, if they see some unsportsmanlike conduct or something like that, like there's a race going on and somebody cheats in the shadows. They get really upset, and they'll argue about it, and they'll fight with one another. But they're never able to turn around and realize that they're actually bound. And so, of course, he mentions how you know you can kind of see the figure of Socrates in this, as well as you can see a foreshadowing, and this is something the early church fathers noticed, that you can see seeds of the gospel in this myth, because he says, some, he says, suppose one of them gets free and steps outside and is able to see this entire wide world that's out there and it's so beautiful, and it would actually take him a long time to adjust to even be able to see standing in that light because he's been in darkness for his entire life. But once his eyes have adjusted and he rejoices in being in the light and in seeing the truth of reality, wouldn't he want to go back and tell the people in the cave, you're in chains. There's an entire world outside. The only thing, that, everything that you're looking at and so concerned with and so upset about and fighting with each other about is an illusion. Come, leave your chains behind. I'll untie you. Leave the cave. Come out with me. And he says, what do you suppose would happen? The people will kill that man. And again, this is a foreshadowing you know, a prophetic word from outside of the people of Israel about Christ. But now I want you to think, when we even use this language in our contemporary language, we talk about people being going to their man cave. We even create things like this, right? Like we think it's cool <laughs> you know, to actually go to a place and be completely absorbed in shadows. And we do that as well through news, through the media that we consume, in all of these different ways. We go and we find ourselves absorbed in and spellbound by these shadows, by all of these things. And then what do we do? We argue with the shadows. And we try to find our place of standing, of aligning ourselves with the right 
shadows, the left shadows, whichever ones we want to think that we can align ourselves with. And we could spend an entire life distracted and caught up in all of these things and spend less and less and less time face-to-face and heart-to-heart with others and make no provision for life within the body of Christ because we're too concerned about what are the shadows doing now? How are they behaving now? And how does it affect me? And again, seeing ourselves formed in that image which is an image of rule for the sake of private gain. And so we get so caught up into these things and we begin to mirror that way of life. And anyone that has served within the life of the church for even a little bit, has been here just for a little bit of time, and has tried to give of themselves, you notice very quickly that you feel like you're alone, or almost alone. Why? Everyone else is out playing with the shadows and getting mad about them and thinking about, well, if I could just make this happen, maybe this image over here will change. But very few people are invested in the life of a genuine community and of growing places that are founded genuinely on love. And I think as well for Christians, and this is something that they um, will talk about within the podcast and within these series of talks, which is very, a very good point, is that when they said, you know, if you have a small group of people, if you have 10 people that are together, they're trying to accomplish something, and then one of them tries to be a tyrant, what happens? You know, if one of them says, just starts telling everybody what to do, and it's really obvious that they're just in it for themselves, for their own private gain, like immediately you would be like, stop it. You know, if you were little kids playing a game, you would say, game over. You know, get out of here. Like, that's not how we do things. And so one of the things that they pointed out is in order for a rule for the sake of private gain to continue, it has to appear as though the tyrant is actually there for your benefit. That the rule is actually there for your own good. And so how do Christians throughout history get pulled into these types of systems and become subservient to them? Because the system itself threatens the life of families, threatens the life of churches, threatens people, you know, things that are good. But then the same system tells you that we're the ones that can save your family and your church. And so people end up buying into these things and again, spending all of this time obsessed with what all of the shadows are doing instead of actually living in community Ostensibly, and and, and it's because they're motivated by wanting to preserve something good. And yet, by being totally obsessed 
with this illusion and by making it the, the, the center of one's life, then Christ, the body of Christ, is no longer the center of one's life. It's on the periphery. Because what really matters is this other thing. And these people said that they can do something about it. They'll stop Christians from being persecuted. You just heard when we sang the Beatitudes, what did it say? Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. In the Gospel during this week, when we were reading for the Feast of St. Demetrius, we read the Lord saying, A servant is not above his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so what is this kind of insanity that we're kowtowing to the powers of the world to make sure that the church isn't persecuted? Why? What is it that... Well, anyway. <laughs> we could continue talking about these things. But... So I want to encourage you I guess what I'm trying to say is we need to be less obsessed with shadows and the illusions of power that the world presents to us. We need a change of heart so that we don't end up acting in such a way that we ourselves are only acting out of self-interest and we even treat the church that way. And we need to return to the parish and to our communion with one another as believers as the center of life. And even if you're really worried about all of that other stuff, I want to encourage you that, you know, what these guys were reflecting on in these talks that they were giving about tyranny when they said that really the only resistance is love. The only resistance is to participate and live in the kingdom of God here and now. So the Lord said to his disciples, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is here right now for you to participate in. And you do that by offering the things that you, we tend, because we're obsessed with the shadows, to offer primarily to the world. We give the world our time, we give the world our talent, and we give the world our money. But if we turn that around and we're to give time, talent, finances, support to the life of the local church, you could see a genuine community of love being formed that's immune to any sort of tyranny. Tyrannies are only as strong as the potential that they have for making people self-interested. 
If you're a loving person, you're free. You don't have to be afraid of anything. And so, may the Lord help us and encourage us. I'll close with a word from Metropolitan Hierotheos. In the church, we live eternal life starting from now. We do not simply await the life to come, but we experience and enjoy it from the present. The kingdom of God, according to the fathers, is not life beyond the grave, but communion with God. And so it begins now, within the body of Christ. And may it continue unto the ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us at St. George Orthodox Church Homilies and Reflections. Please be sure to like and subscribe and share this podcast with your friends.